0: Welcome back to the commercial real estate investor podcast today, I'm here with Henry Eisenstein. And today we're going to be diving into utilizing brokerage as an income producing stream to start your investment business, as well as buying commercial properties if you're broke. I've got a couple of videos that are going to be coming out on this. It's always been a popular topic here on the channel. Because let's be honest, commercial real estate is a capital intensive game. And not all of us have a whole bunch of money just sitting around to get started in this, and uh, neither did I. So going to be diving into those topics today. Henry, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got here.
1: Uh, Thanks for for having me on, my man. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, A little bit about me, been in the business just shy of nine years. Um, Started out in the residential space when I was like 20, 21 years old. Built up a team uh, to a little over 100 transactions a year. Got incredibly burnt out trying to work 100 hours a week to try to make any serious money in this business. I uh, kind of fell in love with the commercial world as all the uh, all the deals I was doing was mainly in the investor world. So it was natural that as my investors grew up, I grew up as well and kind of fell into the commercial world over the last three to five years and um, haven't looked back since. Been a part of over a few hundred million dollars of uh, deals, you know, own a number of properties as I know you do as well and try to help a lot of people do the same.
0: Yeah. So Henry and I connected not too long ago on his podcast. I'm not sure if that episode is live, but if it is, go check out Henry's podcast uh, we we kind of dive into my background a little bit and, and how I got started. And, and Henry has a very similar story, you know, crushing it in the brokerage game and, and utilizing that to jump onto the investment side of the business. So Henry, talk to me about your goals behind the brokerage, how you built it up to where it was, and then, you know, what you kind of turned it into. Sure.
1: So um, I feel like the game on the residential world um, has always... like The only way to really make any serious money is to do one of two things. You either do a lot of volume, right on the smaller price point properties, or you do incredibly high-priced luxury homes to, do, to really make any type of money. Um, and for me, it was like a lot of those small price deals. That's why we're doing over 100 a year on the investment world and kind of just fell in love with the game, right? Just like finding great deals. Um, and I eventually uh, had a great... I ended up building up a relationship with a... A uh, good guy uh, who was an investor, which we ended up doing well over 100 flips together. And I slowly started just taking, instead of the commission check I would take up front, I would just roll it into the deal, became a small equity partner, and uh, slowly built it up into then eventually being you know 10%, then 25%, then 50% as I started making more and more money um, and build out the brokerage team on that end, just trying to find a lot of great deals. And then now it's kind of changed into, you know, scaling through agents, working with much larger properties, you know, uh, multiple different asset classes. The game has not changed too much other than now we're just dealing with a much higher price point, much bigger property and just looking for different ways to make money other than just flipping it. Right.
0: So 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 how how do you like the, uh, how do you like the flipping world of residential real estate compared to commercial properties?
1: I actually um, have come to the conclusion that I viscerally hate Flipping residential houses. Um, <laughs> the only time I've ever lost money on investment real estate is flipping houses. Period. Um, you know, I've been a part of over a hundred residential flips. We've lost money on three. I'm actually in the I'm in the middle of trying to close on the third one, which I am losing a lot of money on, and I can't seem to get out of it. So um, I can say going forward, I will not be doing any more residential flips.
0: I mean, hey, look, ninety-seven percent strike rates, pretty damn good in real estate.
1: Yeah, I mean, thank thank God, you know, like, but on the commercial world, we've been at nearly, you know, we've been at a hundred percent. It's kind of, you know, it's much harder, uh, at least from our experience, to lose money when you're buying it, um, you know, w- with a long-term mindset. You know, like in the residential world, if you're holding that deal for anything longer than six or eight months, nine times out of ten, you're going to lose money. In the commercial world, you know, you're talking. About holding that asset for, you know, what, five, seven, 10 years at the shortest, Um, when it's much harder to lose money over
0: a longer period of time, I believe, based on especially where you're buying it, obviously. That's what I've found. I mean, we've had deals that we acquired and we ended up not being able to do the project for one reason or another. Typically, it's because of the market and interest rates. And we've, of course, just went through the pandemic. Now we've got this new interest rate spike. And the last one that we had fall apart was probably two years ago. And... Uh we ended up selling it for like 6 or 7 hundred thousand dollars more than what we bought it for. So we ended up walking away just fine because there's enough room and margin for error in these deals if you are buying them right. You can always have multiple exit strategies, which I I certainly appreciate and it's it's very prudent for you as an investor to have. Talk to me about utilizing commercial real estate brokerage as an investor. How did being a broker first benefit you? when you started buying properties?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things that it allowed me to do was learn the investment game from the inside out without having any money involved whatsoever and just seeing as the deal uh, uh, process went on and being able to see the entire process from start to finish over and over and over again. And I got to take my little baby jack right at the beginning because I found the deal and I got to sell it at the very end and I got to see the whole process in the interim. And I got to see like what what works, what doesn't work. I got to see uh, how to find deals and not have to worry about you know my next paycheck being reliant on that deal making sense or not. Right. So uh, it gave me that ability, the, the long lasting ability to kind of understand the process wholeheartedly. Where now I understand how to find the deals, I understand how to fund the deals, I understand how to rehab the deals, I understand the long term strategy of the deal. All it's like a, it's having a mentor that you didn't have to pay for. Right. I got paid to be mentored. For the last, you know, almost nine years uh in the investment game. So now I'm able to do it, you know, do it for myself. But, you know, our philosophy is we think like investors first and as realtors second. Um, you know, that's that's a philosophy on my team and it served as well.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I approach it. I mean, I think becoming a commercial real estate broker is the best foot in the door that you can have if you want to start investing in commercial real estate because you learn it from the ground up. You learn it from investment groups that are incredibly experienced you can also work with a variety of investment groups so you can work with a team that buys industrial one that buys multifamily, one that buys office and retail you know you get to learn a little bit of everything while not really having anything at stake other than your commissions right so you're you don't have any money that you could potentially lose and it's a great way to get paid and learn 100
1: it's like having an internship at these multi you know multi million dollar or tens of million dollar you know, uh, your company's uh, essentially you know being paid, right, to have these internships, a crazy amount of money.
0: Let's dive into creative deal structures. I, I think that the best commercial real estate investors out there are the ones that are willing to get creative with how they fund their deals. And usually that that can arise when you've got a problem, but also it can arise when you just don't want to come out of pocket with your own cash. So Talk to me about some deals that you have done where you either bought it with little or no money out of pocket. And and let's break down these strategies a little bit so that the audience can kind of have some takeaways from that.
1: Sure. So um, one deal in particular was a 10-family property I bought last year, um, cold calling, set up an appointment, went to go check it out, lowballed the heck out of the guy. And, um, he just randomly said yes. So I called up one of my investor partners and I uh, was like, Hey, I guess we're buying a 10 family property here. Uh, he was, uh, going through a 1031 exchange. So he had some money and, um, I had, a, uh, you know, I was going to make, I think uh, just shy of a hundred grand on the deal. So I rolled my hundred plus his 250 from his
0: 1031.
1: I managed the deal. We split
0: it 50, 50.
1: Um, and you know,
0: I didn't really come a dollar out of pocket. Yeah, that's pretty nice. So I will say if you're going to use this strategy, I've done it before, you uh, can't officially be a partner in the deal if somebody has a 1031 until w- one year, like 366 days after the calendar date. I mean, that's exactly. typically, you know, you got to trust the guy uh, or gal that you're working with. And uh, we had an operating agreement that we signed and dated for 366 days later. But that's I've done that strategy before. It's it's pretty great. So um what was so attractive about that deal and, and why do you think that the owner accepted your lowball offer?
1: Yeah, so uh, in a great area uh, near uh, in New Jersey, right by the Jersey Shore, uh, great location. The problem with the property was that he had pro- I mean, these are tenants that were there for 20, 30 years, some some of them, and uh, very low rents, not the you know super friendly type of tenancy. And he was definitely having quite a lot of problems. I mean, the building was—I don't know—almost 100 years old, and um, a lot of upside in the deal. But he just didn't have the capital to make all those renovations that needed to, needed to happen in order to squeeze any more uh, equity out of the deal. And then he felt like it would just be easy enough for him to just sell it, take some money, and uh, move into
0: something a little bit easier. So, kind yeah, of right I, place. Yeah, right place, right time. I I love looking for those deals that have deferred maintenance on them. You know, you you see a lot of these older commercial real estate investors that, you know, it's it's been a while since they had to do any repairs, and then they look at pricing today, and they do not want to touch that with a ten foot pole. For a lot of them, it's it's basically time to sell. You know, it it makes a whole lot more sense for them to just take their chips off the table, roll it into something else, and move on. So, uh, Henry, how many how many offers would you say that you typically make before you come across a deal like that?
1: I love this kind of question. Uh, I think our philosophies are, you know, between you and I are very similar, uh, which I feel like is unlike a lot of real estate agents um, out there. Uh, we typically make somewhere between five and 10 offers a day, uh, my team. Uh, and our big philosophy is the whole purpose of making an offer is, again, thinking like an investor first, because they, the, only, the worst thing they can say is no, the best thing they can say is yes. And like, you know, you know in that philosophy we have is just as many offers as we can make, the better it is. And uh, we don't really care what numbers they tell us. You know, I you know, uh, gener- I had 456 phone calls today from my dial my personal dial session. Um, generated nine leads today, and it's like I have people telling me all different pricing, all different types of asset classes, saying that they want to make. All- I'll make an offer on all the properties, right? Because I don't really care what they say. I just want to at least get my foot in the door and show that show that I'm legitimate. And you know, we'll, uh, the ones that say yes to a great price, fantastic, and the ones that say no, I'll follow up with them and do the same thing in six to twelve months.
0: That's, I mean, that's exactly how I feel. You can't you can't go wrong making offers, you know? And, and, and I feel like so many people when they first get started in commercial real estate almost are afraid to do that, right? I mean, there are, 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 of course, certain cases where I'll just say to the person like, hey, my offer is going to be so low. I feel like it's just going to insult you and I, I don't want to do that. So we're not going to make an offer. Sometimes, though, I'll say that to see kind of how they react because sometimes they'll be like, well, just send me something. You know, and if they do, well, then the door is open. It's time for me to go make an offer that really works for me. You know, if not, then we we just move on. But I mean, the worst that they can say is no. It takes you five minutes to draft a letter of intent. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. You just send the email, right?
1: And it's funny, or you know, a lot of people give me pushback, which are like, "Well, what happens if I don't have the money?" I'm like, think about it. So the worst thing that happens. What you're telling me is that they say yes to an incredibly low priced offer that you made, and now you have to now you're in this position where you have to go raise money to buy a great price deal, or you just lock it up and you sell it to another investor, which I've done several times as well, right? So it's like you know the the worst case scenario actually will end up making you probably more money than you realize.
0: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you could you could wholesale that deal, right? Because you know if you've got your real estate license, you're able to just go ahead and bake a commission there on the front end, but. You could also just assign it to somebody else. I mean, if you negotiate it two hundred thousand dollars under under you know value price, mark it up fifty grand. I mean, tell the guy that's buying it, hey, I'm wholesaling this for fifty thousand dollars over what I'm under contract for, but you're getting one hundred fifty thousand dollars in equity day one. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, most investors are looking at that going, yeah, you deserve fifty thousand dollars for putting this deal together because I'm getting an even better deal than I would have normally come across myself. What are some other creative ways that you've structured? Deals like that,
1: yeah. So a lot of what we're doing right now, which I'm sure is like kind of like the new unterm for everyone, is seller financing. Uh, We've been doing, obviously, been working on this a lot as interest rates rise. And I think that seller financing is also uh, has not only commonly been used in the strategy where you might not have to put much of money out of pocket at all, where you can allow a seller to be in a second position, uh, where you know the bank comes in with extra amount. You obviously have to use the right you know or uh, a bank that allows you to do this but you can structure a deal where uh, the bank comes in for their 65 70 75 percent whatever they're willing to give you based on the ltv you can have the seller come in with 10 or 15 percent, and you're 10 percent down so you're being able, you know you're very minimal out of pocket and or the instances where you know now i'm negotiating three different deals where the seller is the bank there is no bank involved and we're only putting down five ten maybe twenty percent in one of the instances and the seller's willing to hold a note and just wants to collect a check for the next 10 years. So it really, you know, it's finding those opportunities where opportunity arises that the sellers are willing to be flexible.
0: Yeah. I love seller financing. It's, it's a huge topic right now. And honestly, I think that the reason that more people don't do seller financing is because a lot of buyers do a poor job explaining what it is. I mean, if you are the seller and you don't really know where you're going to put that cash, or you don't you know you want some easy way to continue making money on your money just seller finance the deal you know i mean we did that on a project last year or september through june and we collected $220,000 in interest just for holding the note for 8 or 9 months we didn't have anywhere else we wanted to place that capital at the time so i mean it was an easy easy move for us to make and you know the great thing is if you are the seller and you're you have the senior debt on the property well, you get to foreclose, right? If they don't make payments to you or whatever, not only do you get to keep any interest payments that they've made as well as their down payment, you get to foreclose and take the property back. So, I mean, I had a I had a developer that I worked for when I first got started in the business. He did that like three times on one property. He bought it, paid all cash for it, seller financed it to the next guy. He defaulted, he took it back, seller financed it to the next guy. He defaulted, seller financed it, sold it. I mean, I can't even imagine how much money he made on that one deal just because he was willing to sell or finance it. So I think that that's a strategy that, you know, we as commercial real estate investors shouldn't just employ on the buy side when we're acquiring properties, but also when you're looking to sell a property. If you don't have anywhere that you need to move that cash, consider seller financing. Yeah, super smart. I mean,
1: hey, I'm sure that guy got double digit, uh, crazy high double digit returns on that property. Good for
0: him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he absolutely had to have. So what other um, interesting strategies have you ever seen? Right? I mean, I know you've worked with a whole lot of other commercial real estate investors. There are so many great ways. I mean, one thing that I was thinking of when when you were talking about, you know, seller financing is is joint venturing with the new with the with the seller, right? I mean, you could definitely do this and go to the bank and say, Hey, you know, we're gonna buy we're gonna put 70% leverage on his property, and you know he, uh, we're going to be 50/50 50, 50 partners moving forward or 70/30 partners moving forward i own 70% he owns 30 and the owner is going to look at that and go well yeah i'm getting 70% of my cash today and i'm getting 30 40 50% equity carry forward on the deal remaining like that's a very creative way for you to you know not have to put any cash into the deal the seller gets to cash out you get to joint venture with him and move forward have you ever seen anything like that done
1: Yeah, uh, we we've definitely seen a few of those instances come uh, come through. Um, Actually, just recently, we're structuring a deal where um, we were basically about to do exactly that, and uh, last minute, the the my partner, uh, one of the buyers in the deal, just wanted to buy the deal straight out and not deal with having an extra partner. But I think that's probably one of them. That strategy, I think, is a it's kind of like having all these different tools in your tool belt, right? Like you offering the payments over time through seller financing, offering these deal structures where, you know, you might be a, a, a partner with them or partnering with somebody on a 1031 exchange and doing, you know, kind of doing a wraparound deal where, you know, you know, be 50, 50 owners at 366. Like these are all different tools where we can propose them to the seller and saying like, Hey, if you want an old cash offer, it's here. If you're open to this tar- terms, it's here. If you're open to these terms, it's here where like you can actually structure and pay more. Uh, sometimes and other investors are because the seller is open to uh, some type of strategic or uh, flexible terms, uh, but no one else is typically presenting these types of terms to them.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. I've, uh, I mean, there are so many ways to get creative, and I think sending multiple offers on one property is a great way to get a good deal, no matter what, right? Because right. psychologically, most people will pick one of the one of your offers instead of countering any of them, right? they'll just say oh i like offer c the most i'm going to accept that one and all three of them work for you they just have different terms right like okay i'll buy it you're completely out we'll pay a million dollars i'll buy it you seller finance 95% i'll pay 1.2 million dollars you know we jv and you know we'll bring in 70% debt and you know you retain 50% ownership and you know it's 50-50 right like there's so many ways to get very creative on these deals. So Henry, what, what advice would you have for other commercial real estate brokers out there who are looking to transition into the investment side of things?
1: Uh, two things. One is pick up the phone and realize that this entire game is about finding great deals, right? Like the more great deals you come across, the more money you'll make, whether as a broker or as an investor. And also just know that like if you want to be wealthy, because there's a very large difference of making great money right, or being rich and being incredibly wealthy, if you'd like to be wealthy, then you need to eventually start taking the money that you'd earn as commission and putting it into deals. And I've learned that I hate being a property manager. I do not like it. Right. It's like, it happens I know that you know, like, talking about, right. We're just talking about stuff like that. So uh, I, I don't want to be a property manager. What I'd rather do is work with fantastic operators who are very proficient at what they do on the management side and how to squeeze equity out of every deal who are way smarter than I am, uh, than I am, they have raised more money than I even thought about raising. You know, very seasoned people finding great deals to JB with them on, right? Where they're the point, they manage the deal, they take it over. And I might make a little, I might have a little bit less of an equity stake in the deal, but I have a zero headache and I'm paid like a bill, right? Where I have a PREF plus a percentage of, you know, above PREF uh, and preferred return, Right. Um, where I'm paid like any other bill, like they have to pay the gas bill on the property, they get to pay Henry, right? So like I like that type of setup where I'm also an equity owner. I'm paid every single month without fail, and, and you know I I know that I trust somebody who's way smarter than me to run this deal and make more money with it than I am. But it starts by just like taking taking a uh, an opportunity, a good deal that you come across, and instead of making that commission. Think long term and say, hey, am I going to be better off if I roll a couple bucks into this deal and play the long game, or do I really need the upfront cash today?
0: Yeah, I think that's so smart. I mean, you know, consider your investment sales if if that's your side of the brokerage, consider every investment sale as a portion of equity, right? Just see if you can roll that forward with your clients and then, you know, keep the leasing as your cash flow for yourself personally or or flip flop them, however you want to do it. But I think it's always smart to to kind of be thinking of, I mean, as commercial real estate brokers, you don't have a retirement plan right? You've got to get out there and start building that equity in order to get that. So Henry, this was a great conversation, man. I'm going to give you a moment to plug, uh, where are our, our audience can find you. And also, you know, t- let's talk about the podcast. Where, where can they find that too?
1: Cool. So, uh, yeah, you can follow me on every social media platform at Henry Eisenstein. Uh, you can look me up on every social media platform out there. Um, or any questions you can go to info at Henry And, uh, the podcast should be live on our YouTube channel, uh, uh, if not already momentarily. That's awesome.
0: Henry, thanks for joining us today, man. appreciate your time.
1: Likewise. Thanks for having me.
0: This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.cre launchpro.com.